each one of us has a story. And each one of us has a story, whether we recognize it or not, that we are longing to tell. We're longing to share our stories with the world around us. This has proven to be true over the last 15 years or so with the rise of social media. What is social media other than storytelling? It's us presenting the best version of our stories to the world, but it's storytelling, is it not? 3.2 billion people, what? 3.2 billion people worldwide are on social media. On one platform alone, Instagram, 500 million people a month post what is called stories. I'm one of those 500 million. I post stories. It's a 24-hour thing that the whole world gets to see whatever you were doing that day. We are storytellers by nature. We want our stories to be known. But what if I suggested this morning that we're not just several billion people going around this world trying to get our stories known, but what if we all shared a common author? What if there was an author to all of our stories who knew not only the good presentation part of our story that we put on social media, but also knew the depths and the truths and the realities and even the mess of our lives, but who was somehow orchestrating all of our stories together to tell one larger story, the story of redemption through Jesus Christ in this world. Today we begin a new series. It's three weeks long. We're taking a a departure from the children and youth who are still in the Old Testament. We're going to the Gospel of John for these three weeks. And we're going to look at three different kinds of Christian stories. Today, what it looks like to be born again. And we're going to hear testimonies each of these weeks with people's personal experiences in each of these categories. Maybe some of you have a born-again experience. Next Sunday, we're going to look at a different type of Christian story, the story that we would categorize as being set free. And then two weeks from now, the third week, the title of that sermon is Part of the Flock. That's my type of Christian story. I've always been part of the flock. I was born in to the flock, so to speak. Maybe that's your story as well. But today, this type of Christian story called Being Born Again. We're going to look at the testimony of this man named Nicodemus, but first I want you to hear the testimony of another disciple, a disciple named Sheila, my friend Sheila. She's going to tell us her story in a five-minute video that I will have us watch right now. Let's hear Sheila's born-again story. My name is Sheila, and I've been born again. <laughs> After three decades of searching for God, uh, I found myself at Stanwich Church in Greenwich looking for some answers. And uh, on that occasion, I ended up with being invited to attend an Alpha class. Once I got to the Alpha class, I entered a room that felt very foreign to me. It was uh, full of people. Uh, mostly people from the church, and I believe they were all pretty uh, well on their way in their Christian journey. And uh, I noticed that people were falling all over themselves and each other trying to serve me a beverage or something to eat. Uh, 
we had a dinner and after which everybody stood up and a, a man got up with a guitar and started strumming a little and everybody started to sing a praise song. Uh, well, I was told it was a praise song. That sounded absolutely terrible. I mean, after all, I was a rock and roll girl. Uh, after that, we uh, had a talk and then we went to separate rooms for uh, what they called a small group. And before the evening was over, somebody actually broke down and cried. And uh, that was it. I'm thinking, you know, I, don't, I didn't sign up for group therapy and this is just really strange. But I've never been one to do things halfway, so I, I decided to persist. Well, the next day, uh, the person who invited me to the Alpha class who wasn't there called me and said, how'd it go? And I said, it was excruciating. And she said, what happened? I said, well, I told her about the people wanting to, to give me something to eat and drink and, and the dinner and uh, then the praise song. And I said, what are these songs that they're singing? Are these God's little jingles? And then I told her we went into something that felt an awful lot of group therapy. And by the time I got out, I had an excruciating headache. So that was my alpha experience uh, for the first few weeks. But I, I, I continued uh, and I, I relaxed a little bit, but still wasn't uh, completely uh, in my element. And uh, right about the middle of the course, it was time for something that they called the Holy Spirit weekend. Well. I really wasn't interested in, in going on a Holy Spirit weekend, but uh, something compelled me to go. And off I went. And when I arrived at the uh, facility that night, I went in and I, there, we heard a talk. We heard a talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the talk was really rather nice. And then I went to dinner uh, with a number of people, most of whom I didn't know. And I felt my heart warming. I felt relaxing. I felt myself relaxing with the others in the room and engaging in conversation with people I didn't know. Uh, it just felt good. I didn't think an awful lot about it. Well, after dinner, uh, there was another talk about the Holy Spirit. And then we were invited into a prayer circle uh, to be prayed for either to receive the Spirit or simply to receive a blessing. Well, after all those decades of searching, I knew that whoever the Holy Spirit was, I wanted to receive the fullness of the Spirit. And I extended my hands uh, in a gesture of inviting. And uh, when I was prayed for, suddenly I, I just felt these incredible waves of love washing over me. Just beautiful waves of love. And, and the, the, the prayers went on to the next person and the next person. And I, I was just standing there having a, such an incredibly joyful experience. The joy was just off the charts. And I looked around the room at these people who I thought were rather strange over all these past weeks, certainly when I first met them, and I, I started to feel love for them. I started to actually pray for them, and I wasn't really a praying person. And then when I went to bed that evening, uh, I still had this incredible joy. I could smell the anointing oil on my forehead, and I love the fragrance of that oil to this day because it reminded me of an incredible, experience and I realized I realized right away it wasn't just an experience 
I had met God, and I had met God in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's Sheila's story of being born again. I want us now to look at Nicodemus's story before we consider our own stories in light of this. If you've already closed your Bible, I encourage you just to open it up again. We are in John chapter 3. It's on page 1055 of the Bible in front of you. If you're the kind of person who isn't used to reading the Bible, we believe here at Sandwich that this is the very Word of God and it speaks to us every week. Page 1055, John chapter 3, you see the big black three there, that's the chapter number. And then the verse numbers are the really tiny numbers in the text. So let's hear about Nicodemus's story of encountering Jesus, starting with the first verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. I want to stop right there before we go on any further. This man, Nicodemus, a ruler, a religious ruler, a very important, prominent person in society. He came to Jesus by night. Why did he do that? I was trying to think of a contemporary example of what this might look like today. An important person wanting to come to a religious person. We wouldn't do it by night these days, but what Nicodemus was trying to do is he was trying to do it in secret. So a contemporary example might be something like this. If I suddenly got an encrypted message saying, Dear Pastor Nathan, I'm Senator so-and-so, a United States senator, and I would like to meet with you, but I want to meet with you in an undisclosed location where nobody will know we're talking. That's what Nicodemus is trying to do here. Because at the time of Jesus, when the sun went down and when it was dark, it was dark outside. They didn't have street lights and all the things we enjoy today. So Nicodemus knew that the covering of night would give them some covering for when he could come and talk to Jesus. I think Nicodemus knew already that he would have something to lose if people saw him interacting with Jesus. So let's continue the story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, continuing with the second verse, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What Nicodemus is beginning to display here is a real curiosity about Jesus. Maybe that's what led you to church this morning. I've heard something about this Jesus guy. He seems a little different than all the other people in human history. Nicodemus seems to have been conversing with some of his friends. We know that you must come from God, Jesus, because no one can do these signs. Maybe Nicodemus had witnessed a miracle of Jesus. Whatever happened, he knew that something was different about this man, Jesus, and he wanted to know more. Continuing then in the next verse, verse 3, Jesus answered him, I want to stop right there again because it's interesting. Nicodemus didn't actually ask a question, right? Jesus must have been able to see right into his heart and he could see that there were questions lurking right underneath the surface. Nicodemus says, hey, there's something different about you. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What in the world was Jesus saying? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to talk about that phrase, but before we get into the born again part, I just want to point out this word, see. See the kingdom. Did you notice in Sheila's testimony on the video? After she had received the Holy Spirit, she suddenly began to see things in a new way. She was in the very same room that she had been in before, but she was seeing things differently. Before she received that Holy Spirit experience like she described, she was looking around the room somewhat cynically maybe. Look at these people fumbling all over themselves trying to serve me some food. Look at this guy strumming his guitar with God's little jingles. Isn't that funny how she said that? She said she went home with an excruciating headache. This was her alpha experience. By the way, we have alpha groups. You all can come. But then once she opened up her palms and prayed that the Holy Spirit would come over her in what she described waves of love, suddenly she was looking around at the very same room and the very same people, and she said, I had love for them. And I've heard her tell the story in another place where she said the music started sounding beautiful to her. And then she said, I started praying for them. And I'm not a praying person, she said. You see, when we are born again, when we get this Holy Spirit, we enter the kingdom. We just begin to see it. And guess what? It's all around us, even now. We just need the eyes to see it. We need to be born again. What did Jesus mean by being born again? This probably sounded absurd to Nicodemus. It might sound absurd to us as well. We're only born one time, right? How might we be born again? And what might that imply? What, what, what might that mean for us? I want you to think back to what life was like for you the day you were born. I know you don't remember that day, but you've seen enough babies over the years to know. What was true of you that day? Were you already like Nicodemus is when we meet him in the story, a ruler of the people? Did you have your stature? Did you have your position in society? Did you have any of your wealth or your home that you own now? No. When we are born, we have nothing. The only thing we have on our birthday is dependence. Dependence. I pity the child who is independent on his or her birthday. Because that child will die. We are dependent on our earthly parents to receive everything that we need. Jesus is saying to us, do you want to see the kingdom? You have to go back to that birth-like posture of living and realize it's not your stature that will get you into this kingdom. It's your dependence, childlike faith. Depend on your heavenly Father. Then, you will begin to see the kingdom. This is maybe hard for us to accept. I like all the things I've accomplished and earned, and I like my position in society. And Jesus says, do you really want this abundant new life? Do you want new day joy? Become like a baby. Sheila described joy on the day she was born again. Do you want the joy? Become like a child. 
Now, Nicodemus asks a question right upon hearing this concept of being born again. In verse 4, Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, there's been a lot of theology books written on each verse in this chapter. There's been a lot of speculation of what was Nicodemus' motivation here? Why, would, why did he ask this? So, Jesus, I heard you say born again. What do you mean? You mean I'm supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Now, either Nicodemus was being cynical or he was being skeptical. Let me explain the difference. Cynicism really doesn't show any kind of curiosity. Cynicism is a prideful dismissal. If Nicodemus was being cynical, he might not have tried to meet with Jesus by night. He's pursuing Jesus. Remember, the whole setting for this conversation is that Nicodemus is pursuing Jesus by night. He's showing some curiosity. If he was a cynical person, he probably would have remained in the daytime. And as Jesus walked by, he would have ribbed his friends and said, Look at this Jesus guy talking about being born again. How weird, right? That would be cynicism. But I believe that Nicodemus is being skeptical, and skeptical can be a very good thing because skepticism shows, I want to know more. What do you mean, Jesus, being born again? Help me understand this. I have a daughter. She's nine years old. She's skeptical in the best way. I love her questions. We read a Bible story as a family, and she asks these questions kind of like Nicodemus. I think she'll hang out with Nicodemus in heaven because they have the same perspective. My son, he like explains it philosophically. He's already there. But my daughter has these beautiful skeptical questions. And Nicodemus is simply saying, tell me more. Certainly, Jesus, you're not talking about crawling back into a womb and coming out. What do you mean? And Jesus is gracious to answer him. He's gracious to start describing what he means in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he or she cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus is answering this wonderfully skeptical question by saying, Nicodemus, here's how it works. You were born once by water. When your mother's water broke... You were born into this world. And all you had that day was dependence. Now, Nicodemus, now, dear listener here this morning, do you want to be born again? Do you want this new day joy that I am offering to you? You must be born not of water like you were on your earthly birthday, but you must be born of the Spirit. Just like when your mother's water broke and you were given new life, now the Holy Spirit will break forth and pour out into your soul and you will experience new life on this day. And on this day, you will become dependent upon me, upon God, upon your creator, upon the author of your story. That's simply what being born again means. Maybe that takes some of the mystery out of it for you. What Sheila described in her Alpha class, simply opening up her palms and saying, Holy Spirit, come and, and give me new life. Or I depend on you now for everything. That's a born again experience. Maybe you never knew it was that simple. And there's another similarity 
that Nicodemus would have begun to understand over the next months and years of his life. That the new life we are offered by God is similar to the life we were given by our earthly mothers. Nicodemus would have begun to understand this because Nicodemus was there the day that Jesus died. And it required sacrifice in order to give new life. Think about this. The day Jesus died, his side was pierced by a spear. And the scripture says that blood and water flowed. The day, I know this is graphic, but the day that we came into the world, our mother sacrificed with pain and with blood and water flowing. We were given life on this earth by the sacrifice of our earthly mother through pain and blood and water, and we are given new life by God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross through pain and blood and water. Nicodemus would have witnessed this. There's this amazing journey that we see of Nicodemus. This is the first time we meet him in John chapter 3. He's a ruler of the Jews. And then we see him a couple of chapters later. It's actually the daytime now. And he's there. He witnesses some of Jesus' ministry. But then in John chapter 19, I encourage you to go home and read this later. John chapter 19, Jesus has died on the cross. His blood and water has flowed. And he's breathed his last. And there's two people on the scene to take his body down from the cross and to carry it and to place it in the tomb. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, who gave the tomb, and a man named Nicodemus. And just in case it's not clear, John 19 says, Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night. That's the one. He was there. He saw the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. He saw the blood and water flowing. He saw the death of the Messiah. And These stories connect in the sense that Nicodemus would have understood, and I want us to understand this morning that the way we are given new life by God is through that sacrifice. The way that that happens is God knows that all of us have sin in our hearts. We fail to love Him with our whole heart, and we fail to love all the people around us as much as we love ourselves. We fail in this every day. It's called sin. And the consequences of our sin, according to the Bible, is death. But God, in sending Jesus Christ into the world to teach, to die, and to rise again, said, I don't want them to pay the consequence of all their sin, because that would mean death for them. I will pay the price. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that we could have new life, so that we could be born again. He conquered sin and death by walking out of the tomb. Nicodemus would have known this as well, and we all can just see it in our mind's eye this morning, that Jesus conquered sin and death. He came out of that tomb with new life. He's the first fruit of our new lives, so that just as our mother sacrificed for us to come into the world, God sacrificed for us to have this new life, and he blesses us with it by his Holy Spirit. That's what Sheila experienced on the video. So it's possible that there's someone here this morning who isn't sure if you have this new life. Maybe you've been coming to church forever and ever. Maybe this is your first time in church. 
or somewhere in between, and you're wondering, how do I get that joy that Sheila described? Can I have this new life? Can I be born again? Where the first day and every day after I depend on my Heavenly Father. And it would be tempting right now to do some kind of like altar call where I bring you up. Don't be anxious, I'm not going to do that. But I want us to look at the last verse to start thinking about how does one actually receive this? How does one actually get a born-again experience? Jesus answers that too, verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. I find this interesting because birth is not something we can control. What did you do to be born? Nothing, right? And in the same way, our new birth is not something we can manipulate. It's not something we can control. It's not something we can manage. Just like the wind. Can anyone here tell the wind where to go? No. We can't control the weather. We can pray for rain, but it's God who sends it. We can pray for the wind to come, and that's actually what I want us to do right now. I'm going to pray for this wind. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and visit us this morning. Because if there's anybody here who hasn't experienced this born again, this new life, I'm just simply going to pray that God would send his wind. I can't control it. It's not me. It's not my prayer or your prayer that will make you born again. It's the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to spend a moment asking God in his grace to send us his spirit. Maybe you want to put your hands out like Sheila did in the video, just in a posture of receiving. Can can the kids just wait one second? Just wait back there, Rocco. Thanks. Just and if you don't want to put your hands out, maybe you just want to posture your heart to say, Lord, I'm opening my heart to receive. I I want a new life. I want you, Holy Spirit. God, I pray that in your grace, in your mercy, like a breeze, you would just come upon us right now. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you for paying the penalty of death that our sins deserve. I thank you for rising out of your tomb with new life. And I simply ask, Holy Spirit, as we open our palms, as we open our hearts, that you would breeze over us, you would fall upon us. Will you give us this gift of new life? Will you give us new day joy? that we might become like little children, hearts open, depending on you.
Come, Holy Spirit. May today be the first day for somebody in this room, the first day of their new life. We celebrate that. Happy birthday. In Jesus' name, amen.